everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Great Quarter Gals, part of our Global Supply Chain Week here at Freight Waves. I'm Kaylee Nix here with my fabulous co-host, Grace Sharkey, back again from this morning. Grace, let's just like dig right into it. Global Supply Chain Week, retail day. I'm excited. You're excited. Let's do it. Yeah, it's been so much fun. I enjoyed the networking session during the lunch as well. Got to talk to a couple of people just about the experience in general, what they like to see so far and what they're hoping to see this week. So um, I know, I've, of course, again, it's retail day. So it's mm-hmm. my favorite day of the whole week, <laughs> not to be biased, but we're going to be open about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been a fun time. I'm excited to to do this chat with you today, too. <laughs> So as we're digging into our episode of Great Quarter Gals today, this is the shameless plug for that live chat feature. That's on live.freightwaves.com. It's our event page. I'm reading it. I've got it pulled up on my iPad right here. So I will be connecting with you guys, our audience, during the entire time. If you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you want to have us talk about a topic with our guests today, feel free just to drop it in the live chat. I'll be taking a look at it this whole entire time. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say and really just to hear what you guys want out of this episode of Great Quarter Gals as well. Yeah, we already have some questions coming in, so I'm excited to everyone get in there. Um, that's what the whole point of this is. We want to make it interactive and have everyone involved with it as well. So let's go ahead and get straight into our finance news of the day piece for this morning. Starting off, well, actually, actually, let's, let's run it back. Let's run it back a little bit. So it's retail day. And <laughs> as you mentioned, it's your favorite, your favorite day of Global Supply Chain Week. I'm kind of biased. I also like retail, but I think it's just because I like shopping. And the e-commerce shopping experience has, of course, changed completely over the last year. So let's talk about it. Do you love it? Do you hate it? What's your favorite part? Why? I would say my absolute favorite thing that I love, and I, you guys started the morning off right with it, is online grocery shopping, home delivery. I have been dug into it since the beginning <laughs> of COVID. I enjoy the experience so much. I love that these apps are now letting you choose specific shoppers as like your shoppers so that they can come back and it's just it's so much easier like you don't realize how much time you waste grocery shopping until you start using these applications and for me it's like I make it a Saturday thing I I clean my house I do all that fun tidy stuff and then while I'm doing that they bring me my groceries and what do you know I save at least a couple hours plus I feel like I save money because Let's all be real. We go to the grocery store and then we buy a bunch of stuff we never even wanted to get to begin with. So I love that. And that's for me as a shopper is never going to (laughs) change. See, I'm going to take the counter. Like I love my Sunday grocery shopping ritual. I love writing my list and going out and inspecting every piece of produce and being like, this is, this is the apple for me. Like this is my Monday apple this week. This is my Tuesday (laughs) apple this week. And I don't get me wrong. I love you guys. Instacart. I love Uber Eats. You guys are doing great things for the space, but you just can't pick my produce for me. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, what's great about it though. We got two shoppers who want two different experiences Mm -hmm. and that's why there is so technology in this in this space because there's so many different ways that people want to go about it. A hundred percent. So we love that. So now let's take that as a segue deep down into our finance feature of the day. Two stories to talk about today. First off, Parade securing a new round of funding, $127 million tech enablement for freight brokers. I know that this is right up your alley with the history of brokerage. 
Definitely. Uh, and I've, I've used this product in the past before. And I, I really wanted to point out this specific subject because I think it tells a really interesting story about carrier management as a whole. So last week, Parade uh, announced a $12.7 million um, round of funding. And with that, they also spoke on a consortium of investors and just supply chain uh, industry executives as a whole that are going to be a part of Parade moving forward and really being a part of uh, growing its ability to to help brokers and to help logistics providers choose their carriers and manage their carriers. Um, and it's in a really interesting list too. You've got both Jason DeBow and Jet McCandless from Project 44. You have Shannon Hart, uh, former uh, VP of Product from Mercury Gate, uh, Zach Fredericks um, from uh, Loadsmart, um, Tom Conlin from Jones Capital, Eric Rempel from Redwood. And I think what this just shows you is just how difficult it is to solve the problem of capacity management, that you have all of these huge groups, all of these really great technology providers that are coming together and saying, you know what, we aren't going to be able to solve this just as one of us we're going to have to come together as a whole and figure this out. And for people, Parade is an interesting way of, of allowing carriers to um, share their data and share their capacity in, in the way that they want to share it. Um, and also allows brokers to really easily go into a um, cradle to grave to buy sell type of model, which is really going to be what's table stakes in the future of, of, of freight brokerages as they become more technology centric. So the reason I really wanted to point this out is because I think a lot of times we see these strategic investors as part of these raises recently. And it's because we're solving really, really hard issues. That's going to take a lot of use cases, a lot of talent, a lot of minds to come together to solve it. So you know, that's one right there that's going to take a long time. And I just, I loved reading about everyone coming together because I think sometimes people are saying, like, who's going to come out at the end? No one. We're going to have to figure it out as a whole, as a full, legit supply chain. I think that this is really interesting because we talk a lot about fragmentation in the space and how there are so many players. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, fragmentation is such a bad thing, right? That means that everybody's working on their own individual thing and there's no cohesiveness between these different yeah. companies and this leadership. But this proves that it's absolutely just the opposite. Just because there's fragmentation in the space, whether that's in freight tech or whether that's in brokerage models or whatever, doesn't mean that people are doing their own thing. It gives the opportunity for this collaborative effort. And so as you mentioned, we see all of these leaders from these freight tech companies now understanding that just because we all exist in different companies doesn't mean that we can solve problems on our own. And it's that trickle-down effect mm -hmm. that we were talking about with Flexport last week, where you're taking this money that they're receiving as investments and then putting it into further your mission just down the line. Definitely. You know, it's it's all about that algorithm, right? That secret sauce. <laughs> what's going to make it all click? And if anything, we just learned that sauce ingredients is going to be probably more than a couple of, of ingredients to me, a handful of minds to, that come together to get it done. And I love seeing the leaders of the freight tech companies that we feature so heavily here on Freight Waves as well. Like as you mentioned, Jet, you've got Eric Rempel from Redwood Logistics that's involved in this and all of that. You know, it's just great to see so many people coming together and making this huge collaborative effort. 
definitely and like we've said they they have really interesting technology abilities themselves but even they are saying you know let's step back and let's let's figure out a way that we can all combine these different use cases that we have and and really examine how carriers are chosen and what makes them tick and where they want to go and 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 figure out the best way to get this done because it is you know every single load every single shipment is almost a, a, its own case and so this really points that out and shows, you know, just because you see freight tech brokers growing in this industry, um, we, we still need innovation from, you know, I think companies that aren't even probably um, put together as of today. Absolutely. So you can find both of those stories up on FreightWaves.com if you wanted to read a little bit further into what the parade investment means and who's involved in it as well. Grace, should we welcome our guest today? Yes, we should. We should welcome him with open arms. Uh, we're excited to have him on, especially as our, our first guest for not just uh, a regular live show, but for uh, our own summit. I mean, this is exciting for me. I've, I've never done this before. So uh, Bruce Chan, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Hey, Kelly, Hey, Grace. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Bruce, we also have to say thank you because you you technically gave us this platform. You took Andrew Cox, our senior retail analyst, gave him a job, got him into the analyst space and left me and Grace to take over and transform it a little bit from great quarter guys to great quarter gals. So we're thankful for you doing that as well. That's right. Absolutely. Well, we're happy to have Andrew and congratulations to you on the new platform. Thank you. So Bruce, let's dig right into the topic at hand today. We're, we're kind of getting into just your general view about where spending and investment in logistics and freight really is right now. And it, it is retail day today, so we're going to take a little bit more of a deeper focus on that at the very end. But we kind of just want to get your general overview. Where do you think that this investment space is going? We just mentioned the parade funding and so many freight tech founders getting involved in that. We're interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And um, I, I think I agree with your assessment. I think uh, in terms of where freight tech is going and the opportunity that's still left out there, um, there is plenty of it. We've barely scratched the surface. Uh, but as far as, you know, retailers and, and shippers are concerned, um, you know, I wouldn't be an analyst if I didn't say that uh, I think it depends, right? It depends on <laughs> your vertical, your size, your particular needs and, and you know, mode bias. Uh, but you know, where I'd say I see investment dollars going from, from their perspective is probably into maybe what they control and understand best. So thinking about, you know, predictive uh, demand algorithms, um, you know, just getting a better handle on demand planning in general, inventory management. I, I think, you know, that's where um, they probably see a lot of bang for their buck. Uh, you know, it's what they, what they know best, what they focus on the most. And then for all the rest, um, you know, I do see a reversion back to, uh, you know, leaving things to the expert, especially as we see the exponential increase in complication that has emerged through the pandemic with the rise of e-commerce and, and omnichannel. Um, I think you see a lot more on the OPEX side go towards uh, control towers, 4PLs, um, which, you know, we used to talk a lot about back in the day and, and haven't talked about so much recently. But I think you do see um, a lot of focus on, on 4PLs and, and that kind of control tower uh, overarching logistics umbrella. Awesome. And, you know, earlier in the episode, Kaylee and I were talking about our change in consumer habits, right? Um, whether I prefer to stay home or she wants to go to the grocery store, um, there's been a lot of change since the pandemic in general. Um, where do you see kind of consumer behaviors changing um, technology? And, and, and where do you see even retailers focusing on um, investment areas with that in mind? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I thought your conversation really did a good job of highlighting um, a lot of what's going on as far as consumer behavior right now. You know, it's not just about e-commerce and, and fulfill to home. It's not just about, you know, brick and mortar. It's about flexibility and options. And I think emerging from the pandemic, you know, that's what consumers are going to want. And in terms of e-commerce, you know, it's not just delivered to home. It's, you know, BOPIS, buy online, pick up at store. It's curbside delivery. Uh, some of the largest big box retailers have seen a tremendous explosion in the popularity of some of those, you know, e-commerce, um, you know, fulfillment methods. Uh, and they're seeing really good profitability on them as well, because, you know, ultimately with, with those modes, uh, you don't have to worry about that you know, outsourced last mile leg. Um, so I think it's really all about flexibility options for the consumer. And of course, you know, that comes with its own challenges, right? Uh, you're, you're introducing uh, new avenues, new routes, um, new complication, new nodes into the supply chain. So, you know, how do you handle that? How do you manage that? Uh, but, you know, just going back real quick to consumer trends, I mean, we talk about e-commerce, obviously, um, you know, we've seen a significant uptick in, in um, you know, people's appetite for, you know, grocery delivery, as you pointed out, uh, heavy goods, things like pharmaceutical deliveries. And, you know, I'd say we estimate that in terms of trends uh, through the pandemic, we've seen a pull forward of about, you know, call it three to five years in adoption rates for, you know, some of these uh, previously, I think, difficult to penetrate e-com markets. Um, so in many ways, the supply chain, you know, hasn't been ready uh, for those things. And we're kind of seeing a, a backfill right now. So um, anything that, you know, retailers and shippers can do to manage these processes, right? Um, you know, you spoke about carrier management, um, you know, like back to, you know, demand planning and inventory management, I think is, is a big thing. And also um, tools and technology around labor management. Um, you know, so recruiting uh, independent contractors for delivery drivers. Um, you, know, you, you spoke about a lot of these personal shoppers. You know, how do you manage a network of personal shoppers? How do you onboard them onto your platform? A lot of these challenges that these companies are facing are very similar to the challenges that brokers have faced all along in terms of onboarding carriers. So you know, we're seeing um, some of those permeate into other aspects of retail, other aspects of, of e-commerce as well. We talk about the pivot during the pandemic and from my perspective, it almost feels like we're talking about as if it just happened in the last six months, when in reality, we've watched two years of growth now, right? And when this happened, retailers, people who were just generally just very minutely involved in logistics, they made this immense pivot and they made it really, really quickly, as we talked about. And those who didn't were kind of left behind to play catch up. Do you think that the folks who were left behind to make that catch up and to play that catch up? have caught up to those folks who were the early adopters and the early investors? Or do you think that there's still groups that are falling off of the radar or that are losing profitability and losing really their, their street cred in the world of either retail or logistics because they just didn't act quick enough? You know, I think we're still in a pretty dynamic environment. I know it feels like, you know, we've been going through the pandemic now for a couple of years and, and we have been, uh, but, you know, we're still in the midst of some pretty deep, uh, supply chain bottlenecks. Uh, and there is still time for, I think, the environment to shake out. Uh, there's still room for, you know, so-called winners to lose. And I think there's still room for, um, you know, some of those who fell behind to, to play catch up. And, you know, I think as you talked about earlier in the show, uh, there are a lot of, um, you know, off-the-shelf tools available now to help people do that. There's a lot of outside consultative help, um, you know, via 3PLs, via 4PLs to help uh, shippers and retailers do that. So, you know, the game is not lost yet. There's still a lot that has changed and can change. Um, so um, 
fret not, you know, if, if you weren't on the vanguard in terms of innovation and uh, dealing with some of the commotion from early in the pandemic, I think there's still time. <laughs> uh, speaking of dynamic markets, I've seen you on a number of earnings calls over the last month or so for a lot of big carriers that, uh, especially LTL carriers that work with retailers, and you've really focused your attention on their bidding cycles and, you know, whether or not they're going to be going back to contract rates or or what their their normal bidding terms are, are going to come back to normal. What are your thoughts on what you've heard from these companies? Do you feel like a lot of them are still working off the spot market, or do you see them starting to get back to their normal bidding cycles as before a lot of this uh, crazy market that we're seeing today? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. And it's funny because, you know, we always see this adversarial relationship bear out through the cycle, you know, especially in the early part of the cycle when rates are going up. It's, you know, the, the carriers putting pressure on the on the shippers and the shippers, you know, putting pressure back on the carriers. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, typically I, I feel like the shipper wins out uh, in, in, in that battle. Um, I think there's some differences, though, about this cycle that, you know, distinguish it or differentiate it from previous cycles. And, and chief among those is duration. You know, if we think back to the late 2017 to early 18 um, freight boom, you know, really abbreviated freight cycle. I think shippers realized that, you know, if they could wait out, um, you know, the peak, then, you know, maybe they could lock in much more favorable rates. So, you know, they use those contract durations. They use those mini bids to their advantage. Um, early on in the pandemic, I think you saw a lot of behavior shift that way, thinking, well, you know, maybe it's going to be the same time around. So, um, you know, you saw a lot of shippers move to the mini bids, um, you know, kind of delay their normal um, contract negotiation cycle. Where we are right now, um, you know, in terms of a peak, right? I mean, it, it maybe started back in, you know, call it late April, early May. We're now going on almost, you know, full year at close to uh, peak freight levels. And I think um, at this point, you know, shippers are sort of losing their resolve and saying, well, um, you know, we've seen what's going on out there. Um, and as I pointed to earlier in this conversation, uh, there are few signs of things easing up on the supply side of the equation. Um, you know, more likely that, that things are going to deteriorate on the demand side to kind of solve this bottleneck. Um, so a lot of shippers saying, you know, maybe I better lock in the capacity. Maybe I better get some semblance of certainty back into my supply chain. There are still a contingent out there that are, you know, trying to game the cycle. Um, I think, you know, many of those shippers are probably in for a rude awakening. I think if you're expecting that freight rates are going to go significantly lower, if you're expecting that freight rates are going to return to pre-pandemic levels, uh, you're probably in for a, a bit of pain. Um, so I think the smart shippers out there are catching on. They are resuming the normal contract cycle. They are trying to you know, reestablish that goodwill and, and normalcy in relationship, um, you know, with the providers. Bruce, one more trend that yeah, I think we uh, want to talk about today. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Grace. No, taking, you're good. I'm taking you yeah. over here. <laughs> um, I, we wanted I to go ahead. Shippers always win. You're good. <laughs> Bruce, we wanted to go ahead and kind of get your thoughts on some leadership changes in the C-suite space specifically when it comes to these logistics companies last year. And a lot of the efforts that we've seen to diversify the C-suite, whether that be through diversity and inclusion practices or through internal hires or looking out to outsourcing their higher up leadership. I think specifically the announcement of Kendra Tucker just taking over as CEO at truckstop.com. We love that for her. John Kingston just wrote up a really great piece about that takeover by Kendra Tucker as well. Go read that. 
So let's get your thoughts on that diversification of the C-suite and what that means for the industry, both for folks who are looking to break into it and seeing this as an opportunity, and also for those who have now wanted to move up the ladder and now seeing those opportunities being presented to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there are a couple different angles to it. Um, for one, you're seeing a big focus on ESG, and obviously a component of that is you know, the governance uh, aspect of it. Uh, it's a push from investors. It's a push from consumers. And I think, you know, you're really seeing companies take notice and, um, you know, trying to make some of those changes throughout the organization. The other and perhaps, you know, more direct or practical aspect of it is that, um, you know, we've seen uh, a, a, an environment over the past two years that's unlike, you know, maybe any that we've seen in a very, very long time, if ever. Um, and I think that, you know, situations that involve this amount of disruption require, you know, some fresh thinking. Um, you know, I think you'll find that a lot of companies that relied on, stagnant or, or legacy strategy and, and ways of thinking and culture um, are probably some of those in the camp that, you know, Grace, you mentioned, who are maybe falling behind the curve a little bit. And, um, you know, one of the best examples, I think, is with UPS. So UPS for, you know, decades and decades and decades, you know, close to a century um, has taken its leadership from within its own ranks. You know, you'll find that the CEO is a industrial engineer and started out life as a package car handler, you know, back when, you know, he or she was in college, mostly he. Um, now, you know, with Carol Tomei, you saw a completely different approach. Uh, for the first time, you had obviously a female CEO, but I think more importantly, a CEO from outside the industry with a different perspective on how to run the company. And I think you've really seen um, you know, the benefits of that diversification and experience pay off with the company's strategy. They're taking a fresh new approach to uh, pricing and yield management, um, to, you know, returns of the various aspects of the business. Um, and I think, you know, investors have been very pleased. You know, we've certainly been, been very pleased with, um, you know, her progress so far. Carol Tomei, if you are watching uh, really, this, we want you yeah. on our show. <laughs> yes, that is one we're trying to, that's uh, our big fish that we'd love to have on here. So <laughs> thanks for that shout out. <laughs> um, my, my question for you is actually a question from one of our viewers, Greg, who works with FedEx. Um, he's very interested in what your thoughts are, Bruce, on technology that's specifically designed to help improve carrier process processes, but also how uh, these new technologies are making them more service-centric as well. Yeah, um, that's a good question. And if I'm understanding it you know, correctly, I, I'll maybe just preface by saying that um, you know, it, it, we, we, we spoke about um, new technology and, and what's to come in terms of innovation. I think there's a lot of wood to chop, though, before we even get there. Because when we think about some of these new tools, we think about what Parade is doing, we think about some of these, you know, algorithmic matching engines, some of the brokers, um, that's all great. But, you know, when we actually see what's being put in place by the users of this technology, when we look at what's being deployed, you know, in shipper organizations, still very, very manual, still very, very analog. You've still got a lot of Excel out there. You know, I, I heard someone joke that the three biggest uh, TMSs out there were still, you know, Microsoft Outlook, Microsoft Word, and Microsoft Excel. I don't know how true that is, but uh, I think it speaks to a very important point, right? That um, in terms of the actual proliferation of some of these new tools out there in the industry, there's a lot that has to be done. And that's both on, you know, the shipper side, the customer side, and the carrier side as well. Um, so, you know, in terms of tools and technology, uh, there is a big component um, that, that really relies on um, just, you know, more widespread adoption, democratization of these tools. As far as the service component is concerned, I think, you know, one of the things you're seeing is that these tools aren't 
necessarily replacing uh, the human interaction as, as people you know, um, may have feared. You know, when you think about robotization and mechanization and automation of any sort, um, you know, for example, on a production line, where it, where it does best, I think, is where you see repetitive processes, pr- processes that require um, very basic um, but um, you know, frequent and um, homogenous um, activity. Um, so that might be a robotic arm that's you know picking up things from a conveyor belt, but I think it also has to do with with um, you know service processes as well. So you know, great example is tracking. Um, you know, how much of a of a customer rep's time used to be consumed by just you know making calls to chase down the location of a shipment of a package. Um, that doesn't have to be done anymore. You know, we can click a button on a on a web browser on an app, and um, you know that's all handled automatically. And you know, with regard to FedEx and, and the parcel market, I think you're going to continue to see, um, you know, greater levels of detail, greater levels of shipment level uh, visibility. And again, that's going to help, um, you know, free up time from the service side of things. It's going to help, um, you know, spread and democratize information. Um, you know, going back to UPS, you heard Carol Tomei talk about putting RFID tags on, you know, each of the sh- shipments about doing, you know, automatic induction into the network and about how, you know, this is going to increase um, visibility throughout for not just the company, but for customers and shippers alike. Along that thread, I think we talk a lot about consumers really upping their standards for service expectations, but we also have to realize that that, that translates into businesses as well. It's not necessarily that consumers have these low standards, it's just that now they're more vocal about it. And these businesses are also more vocal about their service standards now as well. Bruce, before we let you go today, it's retail day. I've posed this question to, I think, every single person that I've asked so far on our programming today. Putting you on the spot, what has been your favorite retail purchase that you've made in the last year or so? And how has it positively impacted your life? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, great question. Um, maybe one that I'm using right now, which is uh, my stand-up desk. I think, like some people, I haven't been yeah. the healthiest through the pandemic. This has at least you know, helped me uh, get my butt out of the chair. So I'll go with that one. <laughs> We love it. Great, Bruce. Thank you so much for joining us today on Great Quarter Gals. Thank you for the shameless plug for Carol Tomei as well. So maybe maybe that'll help get one of our unicorn guests that we hope to get on here. People want to connect with you. Where should they go ahead and go to do that? Email is the best way. It's just chanb at stiefel.com. Thank you so much. And tell Andrew that we said hi. I will. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, Billy, Grace, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Grace, another great interview done with us. And man, I think that was one of my favorites to kind of talk just overall about the trends in the industry right now. And there was one last question that we got that came in that asked, why do we think that consumer spending hasn't dropped, even though predictions are saying so? And I would I would love to hear a Freightonomics episode with Anthony Smith and Zach Strickland, where they can kind of debate back and forth about why this is, because I think Anthony would have some great insights for that question. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's what is really on everyone's mind right now is just even looking at the economy as a whole is, you know, why hasn't that gone down? And, you know, for me personally, if I'm going to, as a point of sale retail uh, podcast, I'm going to say part of it's because they're making it so much easier for people to do so. I mean, we have so many different ways that people can interact with different brands and and their retailers. So uh, I will say definitely access to the retailers is not a problem these days. Mm -hmm. And it's almost been like this really huge adoption where if you think about like personal shoppers, right? The personal shopper was this fanciful idea that was reserved for people with this huge disposable income. And now you're telling me that I can give somebody a gig economy job by personal by asking them a personal shop for me. It seems like something that's way out of my income range, but in reality, it's really not that far. 
No, not at all. It's all it takes is a nice little annual fee and you have one uh, every week, right? So <laughs> you have to find someone to pick out your produce for you. We'll do it. I promise. <laughs> I, I just I just don't know if I trust somebody that much. <laughs> so Grace, throughout today, what has been your favorite piece of Global Supply Chain Week? I guess through today and yesterday as well. Yesterday was Ocean, Ocean Shipping Day and Maritime Day. What, what's been your favorite to see so far? You know what? I'll be honest. I think one of my favorite chats in regards to really helping a, uh, the audience understand a specific part of the supply chain was uh, Britain Ladd with Mark Solomon today. Uh, Britain did a really incredible job of explaining omni-channel and micro-fulfillment and the impact it's going to have on just retailers and the economy as a whole. So if you're one of those people who's like, what does that buzzword even mean? Like, he does a very good job of describing it in a way I think is digestible for everyone. Awesome. And if you missed that one, you can go back and you can catch that on demand on tv.freightwaves.com. It's also where you can catch all of the other content from this event, from all of our other virtual events. You can find all of our episodes of Great Quarter Gals there on tv.freightwaves.com as well. Grace, How about for you, Kaylee? What were, oh, I was to say, what was your favorite so far? <laughs> um, you know, I'm biased because I just loved my chat with Sean Henry so much. But also yesterday's <laughs> keynote speech with John Porcari and John Gallagher was really, really insightful. And as I mentioned at the close of yesterday, Mr. Forkari saying that his job is temporary and that he understands that because the role of the government and these temporary task forces is to set the next generation and the next group up for success during times of stress. And I think that that was huge and incredibly important to hear. Agreed. That was a good one. That's for sure. So, Grace, I think that about does it for us here today on Great Quarter Gals. We always do the shameless social media plug at the end. Where can people go to find you on Twitter and on LinkedIn? Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Grace Sharkey should pop up pretty quickly. Twitter, you can find me at Grace Manla Freight, F-R-8. Uh, where can they find you, Kaylee? You can find me on LinkedIn, Kaylee Nix, and on Twitter at Kaylee Nix WX. Tweet me, hashtag GSCW22. We'll see you guys next week. One, two, three.